All right. Hey, everyone. Good morning. You can take a seat if you're not sitting yet. Welcome to the exchange. So glad you guys are here. Uh, If you would do me a favor, turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. To be honest, I said this last week, but I really didn't think I was going to be here uh, this morning. Um, Our baby girls do any day now, really any minute now. Um, So if something happens during service, is Mike Denker here? I just got to make sure. Mike, right? Okay, good. Just in case. I know she's been a little nauseous this morning, and I'm like, oh gosh, here we go. Um, Really, any day now. It's crazy. Um, But so excited to be here with you guys. Honestly, I look forward to seeing you every Sunday. Um, Actually, not just is it our baby Dooney Day now, but it's actually our 11-year anniversary today. Um, Today, we celebrate 11 years of being married, which is crazy. It's 13 when I got married. 24 right now. Close. I was very young. Um, yeah, but actually, actually pray, pray for this week of our life, whether it's our anniversary, Valentine's, the baby's birthday. This is going to be an expensive week in the future. That's how my mind's thinking. I know it's bad, but it's true. I'm like, oh, mid-February is going to be brutal, um, but a good brutal. Um, hey, so glad you guys are here. We're in Philippians chapter 1. If you need a Bible, I think we still have some people who want to pass them out. So Philippians chapter 1, you can turn there. Uh, quick announcement, heads up, because I want you to think about this on the front end. When service is over today, we're going to wait 15 minutes, and then we're going to have an Israel interest meeting. Um, I know that about 20 of you are signed up. You're going to Israel with us. We're taking about 40 people. Uh, we leave April of 2020, just three days after Easter of next year. Um, and it's, I've announced this because we're 12 months away from the money being due for Israel. And so we're going to have an interest meeting today again, um, but so excited for that. And also want to give you a heads up, next week, I'm definitely uh, not planning on being here. Uh, spend some time with our, our daughter. So we actually have Pastor Larry Thompson, who'll be coming to share. Pastor Larry Thompson was the uh, former pastor of First Baptist Fort Lauderdale. Uh, for like 25 years, I believe. And so the, the pageant church, maybe you know the pageant church, where they do the great, great big Christmas pageant, have like ca- live camels, and anyways. Uh, but he'll be coming and sharing, so I'm so excited to have him uh, in our house bringing the word. So Philippians chapter 1, this is our fourth week in the book of Philippians. Like I said last week, we're in verse 19, and we're just flying through the book. Um, and I do want to catch up to speed, because in case you are new, or maybe you've missed a week or two, uh, the book of Philippians is written by Paul. Paul, who was once an enemy of Jesus, Paul, who at one point in time wanted nothing to do with Jesus. We knew that he used to drag Christians out of their home and throw them in prison. Uh, We knew that he was very bold um, against Christianity. And then all of a sudden, he met Jesus one day face to face, and his life was forever changed. And Paul, who was once the biggest enemy of Christianity, became the biggest advocate of Christianity. And I'm so thankful that God does that and still does that today. People who we never imagined would love Jesus God just radically gets a hold of their life, and they love Jesus. And maybe that was you, and that's me, and I just am so thankful for God just stopping us and saying, I'm going to change the direction of your life. And so Paul's writing this book 10 years after this church was planted. Paul's in prison, chained to a soldier, has no privacy, can't eat, can't sleep, can't go to the bathroom in private, can't do anything. I mean, he's under house arrest in a sense. Paul is just going through it. And Paul is writing this letter from prison, and we mentioned this, but the theme primarily is about joy. And we've talked about this, and I want you just to see this. Joy is not the absence of trouble. It's the presence of something greater. Joy is not the absence of trouble or suffering or trials in your life. That's not what joy is. It's the presence of something much stronger and much greater. And Paul has a joy that's centered in Jesus. And and here's what we see here, and this is what I want to talk about. Paul has a definition of life that allows him to face anything. And please hear that. Paul has a definition of life that allows him to face absolutely anything. And this is so important. I think it's not about our circumstances. 
so much that maybe defines how we handle a situation, but it's maybe our definition of life, what we value, what we're really living for. And so we're going to look at specifically today, we're going to talk about really just trying to answer this one question is, what is the meaning of life? I mean, what are you living for? What is life all about? Like, why are we here? And what is our purpose? And what do I get up every day, not just to do, not just my job, but why do I get up in the morning? What motivates me? What's my passion? And Paul here has a definition of life that I think radically changes everything. So I want to read this text. We're going to read it through, and then we'll pray and look at it. And please be patient with me if my brain is a little foggy. I honestly studied this week planning to give my notes to someone else. Like, here you go. So my brain's a little bit foggy this morning, but I'm excited just to see what God's going to do because this text is powerful. It's a powerful text. It's a powerful passage of Scripture. So let's read Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, and we'll read through verse 26. Paul writes, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Let's pray, and we'll look at this more in depth. Father, we just thank you. We thank you so much, God, that we can spend some time in the morning, the start of our week, just every day, that we can just cry out, even just saying that we love you, but we thank you, God, that you loved us first. God, we thank you that, Jesus, you left it all, that we could be with you. And God, I just ask as we reread this, as we look at this, God, that you would redefine some things in our lives and my life, God, things that are good or, or things that maybe we value, but maybe they're just, we value them too much. I ask that you just redefine, God, what we're living for. That you bring our attention, our mindset, our heart, uh, just to bring it to, f- to focus on you. That Jesus, I know many of us are maybe overwhelmed, we're tired, the pace of life is a lot right now. But Jesus, we ask that our attention can be brought on you in just your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. James, Jesus' half-brother, Jesus' little brother, wrote the book of James, and he asked a question and then answered it. And in James 4, chapter 4, verse, or verse 14, he says, What is your life? He asked this question, What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. What is your life? What is life? He goes, Your life is like a vapor. It's like a puff of smoke. It's here, then it's gone. I don't know if you've ever had seasons of life where you kind of like are going through something. You're like, what is, what is life? This question that James asked, like, what am I here for? What am I doing? You know, if you think about life, think about all the lives before us, the lives that will come after us. I mean, I think this is a really good illustration. He goes, it's a puff of smoke. It's just poof, like tons of little puffs of smoke. That's our life. You know, you look at a, a, a tombstone, and you see the birth date, you see the death date, and you look at that little dash, and you go, that represents a whole life, family, memories, experiences. That represents someone's entire life. He goes, what is life? It's a vapor. So here's my question. And a question all of us need to ask, I think, every so often, just to get focused again, but what are you living for? I mean, really, what are you living for? I know your classic answer, like mine, might be Jesus, of course, but really, what are you living for? 
Like, what, what motivates you? What gets you up? Like, what are you excited about every single moment of the day? What do you long to do, long to accomplish? Like, what are you really living for? Now, I know, again, our classic answer might be Jesus, but I really do want all of us, like, val- look at that and go, what am I living for, God? What am I really, really living for? You know, obviously, we can look at the scriptures and say, well, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say to live for? And, and to summarize it, we can say, man, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To, I mean, have that living and active relationship with Jesus. Not just to be saved, not just to be born again, but to follow Jesus, to be with him. Like, yes, praise God, I want everyone in this room to believe on Jesus for their salvation and be born again, but to live with him, to know him, to walk with him moment by moment. Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 23, he says, life is more than food, and it's also more than clothing. Life is more than food, he says. Uh, Verse 23, I'll throw it up there in case you can't see it. I can't see it. Uh, life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Men, I think I need to hear this today. I need to be reminded that life is more than food. It's very important for me. Maybe, ladies, you need to be reminded that life is more than clothing. Um, I'm very thankful that, Je- that Jesus even points us out and says life is more than stuff. It's more than possessions. It's more than what you have and don't have, but we make this life. Life for us can be food. It can be clothing. It can be whatever. Jesus' life is more than this. It's more than this. If you remember in John 14, 6, what did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the, and, the, and the life. I'm the life. Jesus, I'm the life. What you're looking for in life is me. I'm it. I'm exactly what you're, you're created for. I'm exactly what your heart longs for. I'm the life that you've always wanted. I'm the life that you crave. It's me. It's found in a relationship with me. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It's in him. So again, what are we living for? I mean, I know that we might know the answer theoretically or biblically, but practically, like my lifestyle so often is different from my theology. What I know and how I live, it needs to be on the same page. And then we're trying to get to that point of saying, how do we make, how do we view this verse and not just have it be some cool verse we post? How does it, how does it really become a part of my life, part of your life? What if this church walked around where we could honestly say, for to me, to live is Christ. That's life. And to die, that's just gain. That's just me with Jesus. How can we honestly get to this place? So I want to look at this text, and I want to look at the whole text, not just verse 21, which is like, oh, such a good verse, but I want to look at the whole text, all right? So there's three thoughts today in, in this idea of just what is life? What are we doing here? So three thoughts today. First thing is this. We should live for Jesus, of course. We should live for Jesus. The second thought is we should long for Jesus. We should long for him. And then lastly, we should last for Jesus. There's a lot to do in his name, for his kingdom, for his glory. We should live for Jesus, long for Jesus, last for Jesus. Let's again read verse 19, and I'll kind of catch up to speed in the context. Verse 19, read with me. What does he say? Let's read verse 19 through 22. He says, I know, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. Let's talk through this. We should live for Jesus. So let me give you again the context. In verse 12 through 18, last week we looked at Paul saying, I'm in chains, I'm in prison, but you know what? The gospel's being furthered. More Christians are being bold in their faith, and Christ is being preached. So Paul's like, I'm happy. I might be in chains, but the whole palace guard, all of Caesar's mighty men are hearing about Jesus. They're chained to me. I'm not chained to them. The gospel's going out. 
Christians are getting bold, and then he says, I know. Look at verse 19, just to kind of follow that thought. I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. And I'll circle that word deliverance. Maybe your translation says salvation. Here's, here's the idea. It's almost like Paul is saying, this will turn out for my vindication. So meaning, I know this. He's not saying, I know that your prayers are going to release me from prison. He's not saying that. He's not saying, I'm going to be released from jail because you're praying for me. He's saying, I know what's happening to me is going to refine me. I know it's going to make me more like Christ. I know that God is ultimately going to use this for, for making me whole, for making me complete, for vindicating the situation, redeeming the situ- situation that I'm in. God's going to use this. So he's, 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 he has this hope that is very unique. And then in verse 20, if we keep moving on, and I want to just throw up the phrase, look at the second half of verse 20. Uh, he says this, And nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Re- really quick, just so you can kind of see that and hear that. Only Paul can say, with all boldness, I had a circle as always. If you ever hear me say that, like, you know, slap me. I can't be like, I'm just so bold for Christ as always. Like, Paul, okay, Paul can get away with that. Paul's like, with all boldness as always. Like, okay, that's true, Paul. Like, you can get away with that. But he goes, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul's goal, it seems just so often, was to literally just be a walking billboard for Christ. That idea of magnified, it's weird. Like, when you you think about the sun, or you think about stars that are more farther off, for us, we look at the stars. It was my son last night. We're looking at the stars. We're walking around our neighborhood. And you look at a star, and for us, it's very tiny. You can't really see it. But, I mean, if we were face-to-face with that, I mean, it's just, it's magnificent. It's huge. It's brilliant. Paul's like, we know, we know God. We go know God is infinite. We know the power and mighty of, might of God. But I want to just magnify that. I just want to be a walking billboard even more for that, whether by life or by death. Whether I live or die, Christ is going to be magnified. God's going to be made known. And so Paul has this unique confidence. And, and here's my, my question, I guess. How is Paul able to face what he's faced? I mean, we looked at that list last week. How, how is Paul able to face imprisonments, beatings, fastings, rejection? I mean, you look at what Paul went through. How is he able to face that? And, and really, the only way we can put it is if you have the proper definition of life, you are able to face anything. And I do believe that many of us, if not all of us, need to hear this. If you and I define life the way God wants us and means for us, intends uh, intends for us to to define it, I think we can face anything. What is your definition of life? See, Paul goes, you can take away everything from me, but I still have life because you cannot take away Jesus from me. You see, if our life is built on anything other than Jesus, we're going to be greatly disappointed. Why? Because of many things. Everything can essentially be taken from me. My health can be taken from me. My family can be taken from me. My job, my income, my security, all of that can be taken from me. And what happens is if we build our life on anything other than Jesus, you'll see that ultimately it will fail us or we will fail it. Ultimately it won't satisfy me or I'm going to crush it. If, if parents in this room understand this, if you're like living for your kids, if your life is your kids, you're going to crush them. Absolutely crush them. If you're living for money or some sort of security, when that's taken from us, your life goes, it's falling apart. I need a new definition of life. The point Paul's making is I have a definition of life that can never be taken away from me. You can throw me in prison. Take away my career. I can't plant churches in prison. Do, do whatever. Take away all of this. But I still have my life. Paul would write in Colossians, another prison epistle, Paul would write in Colossians 3, 4, he says, when Christ, who is our life, appears, we also will appear with him in glory. Do you hear that? When Christ, who is our life, he says it so nonchalantly. Like Christians, this should be obvious. When Christ, who is our life, appears, 
we're also going to appear with him in glory. Paul's like, look, look at what I'm living for, look at what I'm defining. So let, let's talk through this. What are some alternatives to living for Christ? I mean, if we were to put up here, we will, but put, think through this. For to me to live is, put that fill in the blank. For to me to live is, what is that? For to me to live is my 401k and to die is early retirement. <laughs> for to me to live is getting a valentine and to die is loneliness. <laughs> you know? I think for our generation, like, for to me to live is to get that check marked by my name on Twitter or Instagram and to die is being unfollowed. Like, we have so many things we're trying to, like, live for. What would that honestly be, though, for you? For to me to live is my career. And to die is just to cut it short. For to me to live is what? For you say, for to me to live is knowledge. And to die is just no more. No more. It's done. Cease to exist. Like, really, what is that? For to me, everyone here, here's the idea. Everyone here is absolutely living for something. Everyone's living for something. The very fact that you're living, you are living for something. You're working towards something. You're, there's something in your mind and your heart for that. A guy named Matt Chandler talked about this alternatives to living for Christ, and he said this. He says, in the logic of the gospel, there are no alternatives to Christ. Every other option is no option at all. When everything considered valuable in life is seen to be nothing in comparison to the glory of Christ, you learn rather well that Christ alone is worth living for. Christ alone is worthy of an entire life's affections and devotions. Everyone is living for something. And what is that alter alternative? And is it worth it? So there's an interesting thought, and I, and I want to confess this in my own life too, and I think we can do this. So often, whether it's Christians who've been walking the Lord for a long time, maybe you're new to the faith, whatever it might be, a lot of times we can get distracted with things in life. We know, we know theoretically Jesus needs to be the center, he needs to be everything, but we get distracted. Something else takes the place of God. We maybe be, we begin to like worship something else. Maybe something else takes our attention, but what happens? When tragedy happens, we turn to God and say, God, help. And it's weird, we turn our affections to God in need, but just not our affections to him, just to enjoy him. Like, and what is that disconnect? And it's really interesting, I want to throw this verse up here, because I find this, I was reading through Jeremiah, and this just stuck out. And, and God actually addresses this problem of we, we don't serve him, maybe, necessarily, but in times of need, we call it to him. So here's what God says through Jeremiah. Listen to this, we'll just read through this. It gets, maybe it's difficult, but focus on this, it's so good. He says, as the thief is ashamed when he is found out, so is the house of Israel ashamed. They and their kings and their princes and their priests and their prophets saying, listen, Israel, he says, Israel, you say to a tree, you are my father. And to a stone, you gave birth to me. For they have turned their back to me and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, they will say, arise and save us. But where are your gods that you have made for yourselves? Let them arise if they can save you in the time of your trouble. It's interesting the other day, whether they're setting up different pagan things or monuments to, to pagan gods or false gods or idols, they're saying to a tree, you're my father. To a stone, you gave birth, Mother Earth, you gave birth to me. And he's basically saying, but when time of trouble, you call it to me and you say, God, arise, save us. But he says, call it to your gods. Call it to that tree. Call it to that stone. Call it to that relationship you're in. Call it to your career. Call it to your Roth IRA. Call it to whatever. <laughs> He's saying, so often you put your trust in something, but then when you're in need, you call it to me. He goes, no, call it to your true God. Call out to what you really worship. That's incredibly challenging. We, we only turn to God and we go, God, help, save us, I need help. And God's like, no, no, call out to what you've been really serving. Call out to what you've really been worshiping. Another way of saying it, 
is this, what you're living for is what you're worshiping, and what you're worshiping is your God. See, what you're living for, that's, that's your true sense of worship. That's what you're truly worshiping. And whatever you're truly worshiping, that's your true God. God, this, this verse in Jeremiah, God's almost, he's just being funny. He's like, you want, you, want us, you want me to save you? Call out to the tree and the stone you really worship. Call out to that physical possession or that idea or that thing that you're serving. That's what you've got to call it to. See, one person said it this way, and I thought it was so good. I, I wrote it down. He just said, life is what you are alive to. Life is what you are alive to. We need to think through that. Life is what you are alive to. Really think through this. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with an, a coworker or family member about God, about like the big important questions in life, and they're totally disengaged. They could kind of care less. Like, please don't talk to me about this. And then as soon as you bring up like the dolphins, like they come alive, or you say Chipotle, like Chipotle, like whatever it is, I don't know, but maybe for all of us, we have something that you kind of come alive to. For some of you, it could be cars, it could be whatever. But it's funny how whenever you mention that thing, they come alive. And so that is your life. Life is what you are alive to. Life is what you come alive to. You know, there's times too, I don't know if maybe you've been in like, the reverse moment of this. The conversation's like, oh, this is okay. But someone's like, but Jesus. You're like, yeah, Jesus. And like you come alive. Life is what you're alive to. See, I would love to see myself more. I would love to see our life, our passion of passions, our master of passion be Jesus. Is there, is there anything wrong with having passions in life? Of course not. But how do we make Jesus that master passion? How do we say, I have this hobby, I have this thing I like, I enjoy, I can get into that, but man, you talk to me about Jesus, you talk to me about my one true love, you talk to me about the one who created me and made me in his image and gave everything for me, watch me come alive to that. Life is what you're alive to. So when Paul says this, let's just break this down. In verse 21, when Paul says, for to me, to me to live is Christ. Paul said, I don't know about you, what you're living for, but to me, there almost seems to be this emphasis on me. For me, here's what I'm living for. I have my life defined. It's Jesus. For to me to live is Christ. You know, how do we live for Christ? Like, honestly, how do we get to that point? And please don't miss this point, because this is so key in this. How do we get to the point where we can say, for to me to live is Christ? Like, that's a big statement. How do we say that? There's first and only thought really for this is this. To live for Christ means to die to yourself. If you and I want to get to the place where we can say, for to me to live is Christ, that means there has to be death to self. For to me to live is Christ. Okay, to be alive to Christ, the Bible says you must be dead to yourself. Where? What does it say that? How do we know that? Write this verse down. We'll throw it up. It's Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus said it this way. You've heard this before. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. To live for Christ means to die to self. If you want to follow me, Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, daily die to yourself, and follow me. So let's think through that. Um, understand the, the impact of that statement in that time period. Understand being a Jew, living in an, living in an area where there's Romans occupying your land. Imagine seeing probably somewhat consistently, if not every so often, especially in the major cities like a Jerusalem, imagine seeing people taking up their cross walking down the road. If you saw someone holding a cross walking down the road, that meant they're on their way to die, all right? People didn't just carry around crosses for fun. Uh, I was <laughs> living in California. I worked in the church office, Calvary Chapel Coast Mesa, and this guy would come into the office with a cross. It was so bizarre. He would literally walk into church with a cross, and we're like, what are you doing? He's like, Jesus said, take up your cross. And we're like, oh, it just is a nightmare. Uh, he literally walked around with the cross. It was, it was awful. I'm like, don't hang out with that guy. He scares all of us. Um, 
Jesus is saying this, taking up your cross in this time period, in this day. He's saying, hey guys, you see someone carrying their cross? That means they're on their way to die. You want to follow me? You better be on your way to die. You want to find your life? Lose your life. So often people want to discover themselves, want to know who they are. I want to just find who I am. Jesus is like, you want to find who you are and lose your life. Lose your life in me. Find your life in me, and you, you will, you'll really save it in that process. Lose it so you can find it. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 15, 31 about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Paul would eventually write this simple little three-word phrase. He says, I die daily. I die daily. Every day, I have to die to myself. I mean, Jesus said to do this. Take up your cross daily. There is a daily denial of self that needs to be happening. If I want to live for Christ, there needs to be death to Josiah. If you want to live for Jesus, there needs to be death to self. And you can, can we just like make this even practical, whether it's like in marriage, whether it's in like relationships, it's like, wow, if I want this to thrive, it can't be what I want. It's going to be death to, my, death to what I think I want, death to what I think will make me happy. And then you go, man, in losing my life, I find it. You see, in death, to, death to yourself, you go, you find your life in Jesus. To live for Christ means to die to self. Hudson Taylor, just a great evangelist and missionary, he'd write this. He said, Christ is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. Either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. You can't say Jesus, your Lord, but just not over this. It's not possible. He's either Lord of everything in your life and in my life or he's not Lord at all. Jesus said you're either for me or against me. I mean, Jesus did speak so clearly. Either I am Lord of everything, either you're completely for me or you're against me. There's not this middle ground thing. You can't say Jesus is Lord, but in your lifestyle you deny him. That's where it concerns me. Does your lifestyle save you? No. Jesus saves you. The blood of Jesus saves you. By grace through faith, you've been saved. But I tell you, your lifestyle affirms whether or not your belief in Jesus is sincere. And he's just talking through this, saying, listen, if you want to follow me, die to yourself. Take up your cross. You want to find your life, lose your life. How do we live for Christ? We die to self. Either Christ is Lord of all or not Lord at all. Amen? Paul is saying, for to me, to live, that's Jesus. We should live for Jesus. Number two is this. We should long for Jesus. We should long for Jesus. Look at verse uh, 23. Verse 23, here's what he says. He says, um, For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, nevertheless to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. All right, Paul's like, I'm in this dilemma. I, I just want to be with Jesus. But you know, it's more, it's good for you, and it's, it's for me to be here to serve you, to impart wisdom and truth into you. He's like, there's this dilemma. I just want to be with Jesus, but it's good for me to be here. It's funny, my, my son, who's three, said to us the other day, he's like, I want to go to heaven, not yet. <laughs> right? And all of us like, and it's like, what is, yeah, it's, we're still working on that. And we're like talking through that with him, and we're like, well, this, you know, yes, I understand, Micah, but it's, you're going to be with Jesus. But here's the thing, I think all of us feel that way. All of us are like, I want to go to heaven, not yet. Paul's like, I just want to be with Jesus. Now, this is not some suicidal thought of some who try to play this out to be. Paul's just looking at life going, I just want to be with Christ. Because I don't, I don't know if you've had that season of life where you just go, Lord, will you come quickly? You know, even so, Lord, come quickly. I don't know if you've suffered tragedy, if you've walked through something kind of horrific. Maybe you've just seen cancer, loved one after loved one passing away. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe there's just tragedy after tragedy, and you kind of go, what, what is life? What is life? And some, there's these little moments in life where God's like, what are you living for? And you're just going to go, I just want to be with Jesus. I just want to be with Jesus. He says this in verse 23. He goes, it's far better. He viewed death as far better. And I think it's important to point that out because Christians, this should be our view. To be with Jesus is far better. 
for some reason, I think we have a longing for the things of this world and a longing for Christ, and, th- and those two cannot live with each other. You just long, just long for Jesus. Death is far better in the sense of you're with Jesus. And I'm pointing this out to not have this like sad thought here, but I think sometimes we care so much for the things of the world, we don't necessarily always love the idea of maybe eternity or heaven or just simply being with Jesus. See, there's something, that, there's something healthy about saying, I, I, my destination is secure. I know who I'm living for. I know where I'll spend my eternity. David in Psalm 1611, he says, God, in your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are treasures forevermore. There's something about David who knew, God, I just know in you, in your presence, everything I'm looking for is found in you. I'm not going to find that in this world. Everything I'm looking for is found in you. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. We'll th- throw the verse up here. He says, I has not seen, nor ear has heard, no, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. He's like, we can't even fathom. We can't even think about. We can't even communicate the things that God has prepared for those who love him. There, there is something that the Bible does for us to create this longing just to be with Jesus. When you read about him, when you read about eternity, there, there should be this longing for Jesus that's healthy. That is a good thing. I've heard people say, oh, you can be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. I completely disagree. I think the only way to be earthly good is to be heavenly minded. I think you have, your, you know what you're living for, you know where you're going, and you have that confidence. And Paul's like, no one can even fathom what God has prepared for those who love him. Because there's no, this idea of when we pass away, to be absent from the body is to simply be present with the Lord. We're not going to soul sleep. There's not this purgatory thing. When we pass away, we're in the presence of Jesus, if you believe in Jesus. We're just simply in the presence. Paul's like, man, for to me to live is Christ. And he says again, to die is gain. And please hear this. You can only say death is gain if you can say for to me to live is Christ. Death is not gain if you're not living for Jesus. Death is loss. If you want to say death is gain, say for to me to live is Christ. Death is only gain. Death is only better because he's living for Christ. The alternative, and I really want you to hear this. Please hear this. Heaven is not just about streets of gold. It's not just about being reacquainted with loved ones who know Christ, which is beautiful. There's some amazing things in store. But when you read the main thought of heaven, can I just say, the main thought over and over again is you're with Jesus, with Jesus, with Jesus, with Jesus. When we see him, we'll be like, like, there's this thought of just being with Jesus. That is the main thing we should be longing for. Yes, we'll get a new body. Yes, we'll, get, we'll be reacquainted with our loved ones who, who believed in Jesus. Beautiful things, but to be with Jesus is what we long for. To be with Jesus is what our hearts should crave more than anything. That is what he's saying here. That is what he's pointing out. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes 7 that is so bizarre, but it's worth noting and reading. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 1, listen to this. He says, a good name is better than precious ointment, and listen, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. He says, it's better. The, The death of a believer, the death of someone who knows God is better than the day of one's birth. This is so counter to everything we do and live. I mean, could you imagine this? Let's like really play through this. We're about to have our daughter any moment. Like, literally, it could be today. Could we leave church and be like, oh, there's our daughter. Like, any moment. Could you imagine if you came to the hospital and you're like, Josiah, and you come like all black, right? Like, no flowers, just like sad face. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. You brought a little sinner into the world. Oh, my gosh. She's going to cost so much money. Do you, do you know that she's going she's gonna to bring you a lot of, she's going she's gonna to disobey you. She's going to say, I hate you at one point. Like, man, I'm so sorry. You brought a sinner. Like, you, that, no one does that, right? We're like, yay, new baby. And, but it, when you think about it, you go, man, like, they are going to experience a lot of pain and tragedy. There is that. The author of Ecclesiastes says, you know your death day is better than your birthday? Why? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there's no more sorrow. There's no more pain. There's no more cancer. 
there's no word injustice. He goes, there's fullness of joy. For to me to live is Christ and to die, that's just gain. He goes, it's far better, far better. I just want to be with Jesus. I, I would hope and ask that as a church, we do have a m- heavenly mindset. Colossians 3.1, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things which are above. If you've been born again, seek the things which are above. Have your head and your mind in heaven, living for something greater. A, a phenomenal quote, I'm going to quote him twice today. A guy named C.S. Lewis, he said this, I'm going to quote him later. He said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. I mean, I, I so agree with that. The Christians who did most for this present world were those who were mostly thinking of the next world. And he goes, we've become so ineffective because we just stopped thinking of eternity. We stopped thinking about seeking first the kingdom of God, bringing first his kingdom to earth. See, for to me, to live is you. For to me, to live is Jesus and to die is gain. Can, can I even just point this out? The only reason why we can say that is because at one point in time, God in heaven said, for to me, to live is you. God in heaven says, you know what? G- Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, right? For the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross. There is this idea that God says, I want to be reconciled. I want to be, be with mankind. Sin has created this barrier between God and us. And so God says, I'm going to come down. I'm going to die so that this barrier can be gone. For to me, to live is you. To, bring, to be with you. To give up my life so I can be with you. We can say for to me to live is Christ because God first died for us and gave his life for us. We should long for Jesus. And lastly this, it's we should last for Jesus. Paul's like, there's still some things I gotta do. Let's read again in verse 24. We'll, we'll finish out with this. Philippians 1 verse 24. He says, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. All right, we should last for Jesus. What I, what I mean by that is this. Paul's like, it's good for me to be here because there's a lot to do for God and his kingdom, for you, it's going to benefit you. Paul's mindset and decision-making was, will this benefit and grow and bless the body of Christ? So unique. Paul's like, anything I do, it's, it's going to be to add to your rejoicing in Jesus. I want you to fall more in love with Jesus. I, I want you to just have more of a sense of joy in Jesus. Again, the verse we'll throw up here in two different verses. One's the ESV version, so you can kind of see how he says it. But it says that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ. The ESV says, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. The goal for the church is I want you to glory in Jesus. I want you to rejoice in Jesus. I want that to be your source of joy. I'm here to increase your joy in Jesus. That when I come back to you and you see me again, you might have more joy in Jesus. Not in Paul, but more joy and more glory in Jesus. Listen, do we rejoice in Jesus? Do you take joy in the person of Jesus? Do you drive in your car or wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, thank you for you. Thank you for you, God. He goes, I just want your rejoicing to be more in Jesus. Here's what's interesting. I think the enemy has done a good job. Here's what I mean by this. I think the enemy's done a good job making us think this. If I live for Christ, I'll be unhappy. If I live for me, I'll be happy. And for some reason, I think a lot of us do believe this in the church. Well, if I really say for to me to live is Christ, I will be unhappy. And if I say for to me to live uh, for me, I'll be happy. And, and Paul's saying, no, no. For to me to live is Christ, that's where your real joy, real rejoicing will come in. You see, I think sometimes we, we have this backward perspective. Like if I'm all in for Jesus, that might mean I'll be miserable. 
If I'm all in for Jesus, that might mean I will suffer more. Paul's like, when you're all in for Jesus, you're only going to grow in rejoicing. It's only going to increase your joy. My last C.S. Lewis quote for today. He said this. So good, all right? He says, if, listen, don't miss this. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward, promise in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. He goes, we settle. Christians, we settle all the time. He goes, you're going to settle for drunken parties, for sex, for selfish ambition. You're far too easily pleased. He goes, you're, you're like sitting around playing in the mud when there's a holiday at sea you could be having. He goes, there's something way more found in Christ, way more rejoicing, way more sense of satisfaction, of peace, of a, a sense of like, this is what I was created for. I'm not throwing my life away. And there's something about that joy, knowing that, that I'm not just throwing my life away for something or some moment or some experience, but I'm living for something so much greater. He says, we're far too easily pleased. Paul is saying, I'm giving my life to you so you might rejoice more in Christ. So you might have more of a joy in Christ. We should love, we should live for Jesus, we should long for Jesus, we should last for Jesus. Why I'm here, why you're here, is that we could actually spur each other on to love and good works, that we could be more like Christ, we could enjoy Christ more. Paul's like, if I'm here, I'm here to further that. Listen, so here's my question again. What are you living for? I mean, what is the meaning of life? Why are you here? And Colossians 1 talks about how we were created by God and for his pleasure. You and I are here because we are made in the image of God. We're created by him and we're created for him, just to enjoy him, to know him. I would say this, please know Jesus today. If you do not believe in Jesus, today's the day I would say put your trust and your faith and hope in Jesus. If you do not say for to me to live is Christ, then you cannot say to die is gain. Death is only gain if life, if Christ is your life. Death is only gain if Jesus is what you are living for. Please know that. Please believe in him. Trust in him. And Christians, please re-believe that. For those of you who've been following Jesus for a while now, please re-believe this. Don't fall for the trap that there's something out there that will bring you more pleasure, more satisfaction. You weren't created for that. You're created by God and for God. Please don't fall into the trap if I could just get that relationship or if I could just get out of that relationship or if I could just get, it's, it's just this endless game. And, it, and you honestly, you get sick after a while and you go, God, forg- God, help me always believe. Help me always keep the center of my focus, Jesus. I'm created by you and for you. Nothing can fulfill that void. Nothing can satisfy me like you because I, I was created by you and for you. Amen? Listen, we just want to end with some prayer and some worship. We want to end with a time to reflect on this. Let me point this out. The reason why we do end with worship so often for us is not just like, let's have a closing song. It's now let's meditate on what God has spoken to us. Let's take what the Holy Spirit has maybe pressed upon your heart and say, Jesus, I want to I live this out now. I want to express this. I want to thank you. I want to cry out to you. I want to confess this to you, whatever it might be. If you're in this room and you say, I, I've, never, I've never made that decision to say, for to me to live is Christ, then do that today. Believe on Jesus today. It's as simple as calling upon him and saying, Jesus, save me. I believe in you. I want to walk with you. I want to know you. And we just want to pray that and sing over that. Can we do that? Let's just pray for a moment and we'll end with some worship. Father, we thank you again that we get to read these words that are not just, um, not just old words to an old church, but God, they're timeless words to our church today. That Jesus, we would be able to say, for to me to live is you and death is gain. God, we thank you so much 
that you gave it all for us so we could live with you and know you. And God, I just pray for everyone in this room. Maybe they've been living for some experience, some moment, their career, alcohol, sex. Jesus, I ask that we would just surrender that. God, even if it's living for ourself or just self-righteousness, God, that we would just surrender that to you, Jesus. That we'd live for you, that we'd enjoy you, and God, that we would just grow in your grace and knowledge, Lord. Let us be a church that is seeking you together. We ask this, Jesus, in your wonderful name. Amen. Why don't you stand and let's worship.